Hey, I'm Mike Myers, and this is the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, which is geared to support songwriters and producers to gain confidence and turn pro. I bring on industry experts to help you improve and monetize your skills, engage better in the writing process, and build healthy habits to create a sustainable career that you love. Caffeinated, inspirational, conversational. Hey friends, Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 78, Riding the Wave of Change with Jeff Duncan. Now, in this episode, I talk to New Zealand-born producer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Jeff Duncan. And we're going to talk about exactly that, riding that wave of change. Because the one thing I took away from this conversation was he is always moving on to that next thing. He is so well-versed because he's generated millions of streams. He's appeared in the Billboard charts. His music has been heard on countless networks for countless brands. And in this episode, we are going to talk about change. How do you make those transitions, different points within your life where you move on to the next thing? Because with Jeff, he's had a colorful life in terms of careers and the things that he's done. I think this is super inspiring, especially if you're someone on the verge of making a transition, thinking about making a change. If you think you want to learn that new idea in production, if you want to dive into licensing a little bit more, maybe you want to take a chance and visit that music city, see what it's like to to be there and figure out maybe this is a place that I should move. This is an episode you need to listen to. So we're going to dive into it right now. Episode number 78, Riding the Wave of Change with Jeff Duncan. Oh, man, Jeff, this is I'm super pumped to have you here because, uh, you Thanks, know, um, I th- came at a recommendation. And then it was cool to just kind of like do a little digging. Then when we were talking, you're like, oh, I'm in Nashville. And I'm like, where? And then you told me, I was like, that's by me. It's just so funny how you, you know, it's, yes, it's a vast world. There's lots of people, but it's amazing how sometimes you're like really close to people you don't even realize. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can't get away with anything, put it that way. (laughs) No, no, you can't. You can't get away with shit. But, uh, you know, we're not here about getting away with stuff. We're talking about, you've just got a cool, a very cool background and, your story to me, because you're originally from New Zealand, That's and right, then yeah. you know, even in your background, in uh, one of your bios, it's like you know, from Australia to Hong Kong to China, Indonesia, Canada, Sweden, all the way to Nashville. I mean, can we talk about some of the in between? <laughs> you know, so you're you're raised, yeah. you know, originally from you know New Zealand, but was traveling kind of a big thing in music? Is you know, is it not necessarily a big thing within New Zealand? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people are into music and there's a lot of great music made in New Zealand. You know, I know a lot of super talented people. I think for me, I was trying to do stuff that was harder to do in New Zealand. You know what I mean? Like straight pop music, which now I think you can do it from anywhere. As we're seeing, there's so many cool pop music makers from New Zealand, you know. Um, But it was definitely harder to do that, you know, unless you wanted to play on jingles, like get down to the pizza shop, you know, like, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I want to make songs that people hear that go on the radio or whatever. But I mean, I kind of got my start in high school bands, you know, and yeah. played bass and sang in a band and, um, you know, and then toured in a Christian band just around schools and stuff and just had a lot of gigs on the road kind of period of my life. And it was during that I actually met Paul Mabry 
who, you know, we talked about that sound and the drum sample stuff. And so him and I met in 1992. So, I mean, a while ago now, you know, um, so we've been friends for a long time. And then mid late nineties, I moved to China and played guitar for the hard rock cafe in Guangzhou in Southern China, you know, so I had, um, friends who were doing that gig and they were like, Oh, this guy's leaving. Would you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Okay. You got to learn these 500 songs and all these dance moves. And, you know, and I basically rehearsed the band with the band like one or two days before I went to China to play. I played on New Year's Eve was my first show in Guangzhou at the Hard Rock. So like I'm probably the biggest night of the year. And so I'm walking on stage vaguely knowing the songs you know i can't was, imagine you know one thing playing but then being like shit what's the dance move again here what do i have to do like last i mean <laughs> i don't know if you've ever seen me dance you haven't but like yeah i was i felt bad for the people of china you know what i mean <laughs> to, have, to have to watch that but i mean you get through it you know but it's funny because i yeah. remember the day after i signed the contract to go to china i tried to get out of it i was like eh, i've got cold feet i don't know if i want to go and they wouldn't let me out of it they're like no nah, I can't, I got no time to get anyone else now. So you have to do it. And it was the best thing. Like, cause I was like, oh man, that feels really big. And it's like, nah, you have to do it. So it was perfect. So I went and did it and, um, learned a lot and played a lot of music and got, got better at guitar and just a lot of rhythm playing. And you're playing everything from Al Jarreau and jazz stuff through to like literally into Sandman. So it's just the whole range of stuff, a lot of pop stuff. Like, and you had, you had to learn 10 new songs a week and half of them had to be in like Chinese or, you know, um, Korean or whatever for the visiting business people who would visit the hotel. So, I mean, that was an intense but fun season. And then I did it again in Indonesia working for Shangri-La Hotel too. So it was kind of like I lived in a pool bar and just had an epic tan and played music. It was kind of awesome. <laughs> and then I, I, uh, I came back to New Zealand and it was really difficult to work commercially. And I was playing in covers bands and doing that yeah. kind of stuff. But it wasn't like – there wasn't opportunity to be like – play on a Michael Jackson record or play on like be a session guy playing on pop records. That just wasn't a thing. So, you know, after a while of, um, you know, making music in various forms, I worked in visual effects for a while and had a visual effects company and that was fun. And I mean, I love that stuff too. Technical, technical and creative yeah. stuff. I love. So music production and visual effects to me have a lot of similarities, you know, and I, I love that stuff and working on it was super fun i learned a lot and you know um and then i turned 40 and i was like i really want to get back into music so that was um 2011 so i moved here in 2012 okay so like there's so much the, so I think I think number one but i just love the casual if like i was here and then i was here but it's interesting how you committed to playing guitar in you know and you were like uh oh i need to get out of this but then you couldn't, <laughs> yeah. but then it ended up being the best experience. But I can't imagine, you know, for someone for a decade when I taught guitar, you know, you know, constantly learning new songs, teaching new songs, deconstructing new songs. It's just basically that in itself and then trying to replicate and then play is a school in itself. There's no education right. like that than just that right. to me because you're deconstructing the process, but you're listening to all of it. So it's like you're absorbing so much. You were the pre-Spotify. You were essentially Spotify before Spotify because well, you had to know yeah. all these different different styles and different things. Yeah. And, you know, from a guitar player perspective, you know, you do get good at that process. Like I used to be able to learn the whole set by sitting by the pool with my cassette Walkman and the, the band leader, Pat, would d- distribute the tapes with all the 10 songs for the week and we'd all just have to learn them. And I'd just sit by the pool and listen to them and I'd be like, I don't know what key it's in, but I'll just use numbers and I could just remember it and play it and then i would go to the rehearsal and we used to finish the show at like 2 a.m 
wait till the bar cleared out at 3 a.m. So we'd have a drink or some, get some food or whatever. And then we'd yeah. rehearse till like five or six in the morning when, because the venue is soundproof. So you can rehearse and not disturb the guests in the hotel. But, you know, and so we would rehearse the stuff and I'd be like, just on it. You know what I mean? Not because I'm so good. It's just more like you get into that muscle of being like, I just know the sections. You sort of make little Lego pieces in your mind for the song of I know the chords for the verse, I know the chords for the pre, and then you make other Lego that says intro, verse, pre, chorus, post. I mean, and you just have that. And so once you know it, you know it. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, it's it's a fun process. and it That's pretty cool. Yeah, it can be daunting. But once you're once yeah. it's your day-to-day life, you know, and then you're learning all these backing vocals in Chinese. Like, I don't speak Chinese. And, I mean, you were sort of learning it as you go. And, I mean... It was funny, I was back in Shanghai in 2019 playing a show with a really dear friend of mine who um, had a song and a massive video game over there, and it was like the world champs. And so, you know, so we went over to play that song at the opening ceremony for the world champs of this online video game, which is only played in China, right? Honor of Kings. The, the only place they play it is China. So it's like it's like the World Series of Baseball. It's only played in America. <laughs> it's like Honor of Kings is only played in China, as far as I'm aware. And anyway, there's like... Four million people watching this thing online, you know what I mean? So and there's 15,000 people in the stadium. We play one song, and the production, like the live production had all this, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality on the screen. So they were panning cameras, and there was stuff on the TV that wasn't there. It was all, I mean, incredible production value. It was crazy. So, But even going back there after all those years and hearing the language and just being able to say stuff and be like, oh, I didn't realize I remembered that. So it was kind of fascinating to go back, you know. But, yeah, so the process of the guitar stuff, like, and, you know, learn like i learned broadway by george benson in the middle of the show by watching the bass player's fingers and trying to keep up you know what i mean because i'd never heard that song you know ding, yeah ding, 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 and i'm just and then he's like nodding his head to the right which i'm assuming means we're modulating and so he goes up a half there ding ding and so you're just watching it in real time and i, I was playing songs which i'd never heard that might have been some piano ballad and they would be like it's in b minor there's a solo i'll kick you when you play a solo just be like steve lucas they play a melodic solo with lots of chorus and sweet okay so we're playing this thing i'm just bubbling along with a clean little sound then he kicks me and i just play a big melodic solo i'm just going for it i don't know how the solo goes and then we're back out into the i just you just make it up and it's just like just look like you know what you're doing and uh, off you go and I, i must have played hotel california like i don't know 500 times you know what i mean it's like (laughs) <laughs> just that idea of that okay hey this is we're gonna give you the nod when to go and then you gotta play this thing or it's just like i have to watch this change and I, oh we're doing this so it's a lot of that visualization that feel so it makes sense that you then when you got home you were like oh cool i'm gonna start this company mixing of visuals and sound because you're you were already i i feel like when you're listening to music there's like a visualization to it as well because you said you know you're thinking about chord progressions number progressions so even though you may not know the key you're like oh, i think it's a one four five and then we're at a six i think that's a three you it makes sense that suddenly you then transitioned to this and then transitioned into licensing which is all about just like hey here's the feel let's make it up it's not a foreign concept to you yeah I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. There is definitely a correlation between the emotion of music and the emotion of images. And, you know, well, I think once you understand one, you can sort of apply that to being like, well, what emotion is the image evoking and how do I support that with the music that I'm trying to make? You know what I mean? Which I think is where licensing, you can really shine as to if you're interested in really delving into the emotion of the story, you, you have you have a palette to play with, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I really love the dark cinematic stuff that... I have a project with my 18-year-old daughter called Hovding, 
and it's like this dark Nordic kind of cinematic stuff. And that's like very much down that, oh, we want to feel this real tangible spookiness or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and we're making all these stupid dark lyrics and everything. We're just laughing our heads off because it's just so funny and stupid. But it's just, you know, she'll be like, I got this lyric. What do you think? It's like wind on the water, blood in the well. And it's like so dark. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. But it's so, <laughs> it's so perfect. It's like, where's this coming from? You're 18. You know, she was probably 17 or 16 when we made that song. But it's like, you know, fun, 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 just, yeah, as you say, correlating the emotion of the music with the emotion of the picture and all that. So yeah, I mean, I guess it all does tie together in that way. It's interesting. You said, like, I turned 40 and I realized, oh, I really want to do this. And then you made that jump. I think. There's so many people that have this preconceived notion that when you reach a certain age, that it's over. Like it stops, like, you know, music closes its door. I'm sorry, you have to be this, you know, below this age. And there's so many just preconceived notions. But again, it's kind of like when you were like, well, I guess I'm going to go play guitar here. You jumped in and you made that jump to like Mm. a, a brand new country and just like to start doing this. Well, there'll always be some reason to say no. You know, there'll always be a reason you can use to talk yourself out of whatever you think you might want to do with your life, you know, and there'll always be someone else who'll be prepared to try and talk you out of what you're doing for their own reasons, whether they're cognizant of it or not, like whether or not it's you chasing your dreams is now highlighting to them that they work in a cubicle and they're not chasing their dreams. So they're going to tell you, oh man, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'd hate to see you fall out. Like, and it comes out of this place of concern. It may be genuine, but I think sooner or later, you have to decide that your life is going to be what you decide to make it, you know? And I, I mean, I, I go through loops of feeling like, man, I'm out of my depth. I don't know what I'm doing. And then something happens or I just follow my heart or my instinct and just make something that I'm like, and then that's the thing that works. And I'm like, cool, yeah. I'll follow that, you know? And I mean, it's not like, I don't want to sound like, oh, man, this is the answer. It's like, no, but I think that you, you will not find the answer without um, exhibiting some courage and making some decisions for yourself to be like, well, I'm I'm not prepared to stay where I am. So a necessary move is for me to go somewhere where I'm not, you know, to find what I'm looking for, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, for me, I didn't know what it would mean to be in America. I came here. Um, I'd been working with a musician in New Zealand who had made we'd made some albums together. He'd done really well, and we'd played massive festivals together, and we'd very tight friends. Used to go surf together, and you know, he had gotten signed to a US record label and was over here. And I'd made noises about wanting to get out of visual effects, and he said, "Why don't you come and play guitar with me on the road while you figure out where you fit?" And that was, you yeah. know, came came in 2012 and got off the road at the end of 2015. And then hit the ground running as a songwriter and producer and obviously still playing guitar on all the stuff that I do. And, you know, um, yeah, there's no way to separate the fear of it. You know, like we're sort of like uh, you talk about making that jump and just doing it. It's like it's not without trepidation. It's not like, you know, oh, man, I know. I just know I, I didn't have some innate belief that this was the right thing and I was going to crush it. You know, I don't I don't think if that's what you're waiting for, you may want to reevaluate that because you'll never do anything like that that degree of confidence probably means you're still too far in your comfort zone to find really what you're looking for you know i think you have to stretch yourself to really be like oh man i i'm doing something now you know there's very little gold to be found in your comfort zone you know it's uh, sitting in front of a tv is not gonna you're not gonna find what you're looking for you know I think people need to rewind to those past couple of things that you just said. Like, but it's true. It's um, it's funny if you think you feel super confident that may be a signal. Like you're still in the comfort zone. You're not being stretched a little bit, and 
yeah, when you're in a space that you know really well, you're you're probably not going to find anything new because it's it or needs to, yeah Ooh. or or you're really in your sweet spot and it's all coming supernatural and it's exactly where you're supposed to be. I mean, I don't know. Like you know, they both go hand <laughs> in hand, don't they? Like you, the polar opposites can both it can be both and you know they can just both be right. You know, um, I don't know. I don't want to discourage people who are like, no, but I'm not scared. I'm really in my sweet spot. <laughs> Stuff's going amazing. Like perfect. You know, do that. For me, that wasn't what it was. For me, the greatest breakthroughs for myself have come out of periods of extreme discomfort you know yeah professionally personally and my personal growth and my professional growth it's like it's had to the had i've had to have some grit to get through some things to get to the next thing you know and i'm 51 now so i mean i've had a bit of time to learn from some of this stuff and i mean i only said that because i knew you'd say that but yeah. no i mean <laughs> i <laughs> i mean i look after myself you know and i'm, I'm sort yeah. of motivated to live long and be happy and you know try and bring the best version of myself for as long as I can to the world and my kids and, you know, for myself. And, um, so I'm motivated to live long and try and live well and just be really happy and productive and excited about what I'm doing, you know, but yeah, it's not without its challenges for sure. And music's a tough road. However you skin it, like, you know, you, you know, it's, it was never going to be the easiest path, you know? It's funny that you mentioned grit. One of my favorite books is grit by Angela Duckworth. And she mm -hmm. talks about like that idea of that the thing that is the biggest payoff or the thing that has the most reward actually doesn't mm -hmm. come easy at the beginning. It's actually really tough. And there's a lot of points where you can just drop off, where you can just, just stop. But it's those that kind of stick with it, with that grit, that kind of look at the problem and the thing that they're facing. And, you know, they're, they feel the intimidation, but they're more intrigued on how to solve it and figure it out right. and like work around it as opposed to just being like, Oh, hands in the air. I, I just don't know. You know, I, I guess there's no way to yeah. solve it. I might as well just stay where I'm at. I will never judge anyone from being like, this is really, really hard. I'm actually going to go and get a job doing something else. You know what I mean? Uh, there's absolutely no shame in making those decisions. You know, uh, for me, it's more like in times of sort of adversity and discomfort, I get to a place where I'm, through the part where I'm really just upset and in a turmoil and I get to a place of where I'm just genuinely curious as to whether I can actually get through this, you know, like, can I actually make this work? Like, and then it becomes like, all right, let's go. You know what I mean? And that's been in a number of areas of my life, you know what I mean? And it's really like, if you allow yourself to become curious and that might be I'm trying to learn how to sweet pick these arpeggios like because it's really difficult and I'm just curious if I just keep going, will I get better? Well, the answer is yes, mm -hmm. you will. Like, I mean, if I can sweet yeah. pick arpeggios, then anyone can because I'm clumsy as anything. But there's guitar stuff that applies. There's music career stuff that applies. There's do I have the courage to share my idea in my first – I'm in a co-write for the first time and I'm terrified of just getting shot down or looking stupid. Of course you are. That's the first time you've been in a co-write, but just you're there to write a song. Write a great song. Bring all of yourself to things that you put yourself into. Don't hold back. There's this idea that you know people have. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna give everything because then if it fails, I didn't really give it all I've got. You know, so I'll be able to shepherd myself from knowing that I actually failed. I didn't really try, so I've protected myself from failure. Well, you still failed. You failed to really bring yourself to it. And then if it didn't go where you wanted, you still failed. You're just deluding yourself in that situation. So it's like you'll never regret bringing all of yourself to a situation, you know, um, and just bringing your best. You'll never have a – and if you do, 
then just you need to sit down and talk to yourself about that because there's never a good reason to regret that, I should say. Like there will never be a good reason to regret bringing everything of who you are into what you're doing, whether that's your guitar practice, your, your boring scales and metronomes, your chord practice, learning a song, writing a song, yeah. doing your dishes, making your bed when you first get up in the morning, doing your push-ups, looking after your health, like caring for your pet. Like, I mean, all of it, you know, all of it. Just bring your best, like. It sounds really, really easy, and sometimes it's very difficult to do that, you know? What you're also talking to is just bringing your best and just your authentic self. And I think people are really scared to do that because either from experience they did and someone was like, you know, they, they kind of like snapped at them, made a comment. And then, again, that self-consciousness, that fear, it kind of like we kind of pull inside a little bit. Well, I'll give a little bit. But really when you do the thing that you're – that you love or that moment where you feel like you're kind of in that element, it's because that authentic self has really shined through. And even when it's scary, you're still like allowing that to happen. Oh yeah. Life is scary. Stuff is scary. Like (laughs) plenty of stuff scary, you know? And if, if you were going to let that be the thing that stops you doing stuff, you'll never do anything. And then you'll have something to regret, you know? Hey, it's Mike, and I just wanted to jump in the middle of this podcast to ask you if you've been listening to this for quite a while, because here we are, episode number 78, and you know you haven't left us a review on Apple Podcasts, could you do that right now? Because that would be huge. It could just be like talking about your favorite episode, because believe me, reviews matter. We read each one, and it helps bring notoriety and awareness of our podcast and brings more exposure. So it really helps us out a ton. So if you've been listening to us for a very long time and you haven't done that yet, could you just take a moment right now? I truly do appreciate it, and I truly appreciate you continuing to listen and share this podcast. So without further ado, let's jump back in to this week's episode. You know, you were on tour, you came here, and then you planted roots in Nashville. I mean, how was it starting to build up what is a fantastic career? I mean, we're talking millions of streams. You've got, you know, appeared in several billboard charts, you know, awards, placements, and various things that you're doing. I mean, there's, you know, there's that sound design, there's that production element, there's the the songwriting element, and then, you, you know, sampling. I mean, how has that process, how did that get started, especially when you were planning, did it help, you know, being in a music city? Yes, I mean, and so much of my work is remote, but I think being in the music city and meeting the people that I met, you know, it's always the people, isn't it? It's the relationships, you know, and I didn't, you know, you talk about sampling. So, yeah, I mean, I was I was helping the That Sound guys with that stuff. So there was Dustin who owned That Sound. Dustin and I had met at a songwriting camp like years before and just become friends. A couple of years before That Sound was a thing and we just became friends and we just were hanging out as mates and and I, as I say, I know Paul since 1992, so we go way back. But we hadn't spent a whole lot of time together in Nashville since I've been here. And then they put out these drum samples, and I'm like, well, hey, guys, well, I use Logic, and I bundled them into a sampler preset because that's how I like to use drum samples. And I just sent them over and said, well, here you go. Um, give these to your community if you want. This is how I like to use them. And then they were like, well, this is awesome. Do you want to help us do this? You know. And so that kind of paved the way to me, sound designing packs and helping with um, implementing them into presets of various platforms and kind of 
building on top of what they were doing, which is essentially here's some wave files, some one shots and some loops. And I was like, man, I love using these as presets within a sampler or whatever. So just kind of helped facilitate some of the tech stuff and had a little team put together and you know, and that was a really fun season. We'd fly around, went and made a pack called Hangar. So we jumped on a private jet and flew to Denver and recorded drums in the hangar and had sushi and flew home. It was, I mean, epic, you know, and just really, really good, good friends doing fun stuff together. So, I mean, that was a hugely rewarding thing. And I love drums. I mean, I don't know any producer, engineer or whatever who doesn't love messing around with recording and mixing and tweaking drums, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I, and I love to help people figure out what they can bring into sample library land, you know, and I've had this conversation a lot and we see a lot of smaller companies springing up. There's lots of guys making dope stuff that's like, well, this is art that I make and maybe it'll be useful to someone else, you know, and I think that's yeah. such a valid reason for looking at, you know, making sample libraries and stuff. So I, I love helping people navigate some of the how and why and what around making sample libraries, you know, and I mean, that that's just a piece of it. And then, you know, I, I mean, I write songs. I have several songwriter collaborations that continue to pump songs over to Amsterdam. Like me and my friend Jordan Grace have written a bunch of stuff for, yeah, I mean, he's an incredible artist. He knows everyone. He's friends with all of those massive DJs. So we can get songs straight to the people, not, not via A&Rs and all that. And, you know, the A&R guys report back and tell us what they need, but it's like, it's great. So we have this um, and Van Buren single out at the moment with our friend Vanessa called Vulnerable that he's been playing it all around the world at all yeah. the festivals. And it's just been so cool making a song in this basement in Franklin and having it go out and the biggest trance DJ in the world makes it a smash, you know? And it's like, man, this is so fun. You know, like I never saw myself doing that, but it's just like, I've known Jordan for years and we just started working together on stuff and it's just kind of where it went, you know? And I think all of it is like that. So you could be like, well, you're just lucky, but it's almost like, well, everything good in life is luck. Everything bad in life is luck in a way. It's like, you're not in control of, like what we think we are to the extent that we think we are, you know what I mean? If, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, oh, I got that job I wanted. Well, that was kind of lucky. Awesome. You were you were prepared for it and it went your way. Well, that's all I'm saying. It's like, yeah, we're prepared for it. We've done the work. We know how to make a vocal sound good. We get better at writing songs. We can play some chords that sound cool together and then we have an opportunity. We made something cool and it, it wins, you know. So I think it's all luck more or less, you know. I also see you, it's interesting how you reached out to the guys for a sampling. You were like, hey, here's this thing that I'm doing with no no strings of like, oh, I'd like to do that. It was just like, hey, I want to be of service and help. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dear friends of mine, let me support what you're doing, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing too. It's almost, you know, you, those those relationships are so important. And it's, you know, sometimes we say like, hey, just be a good hang, be a friend. Be someone that you want to spend mm. time with because I love, and it's the same with friends that I've had. They've brought me into things. I brought them into things because it's like you want to share it. You you don't want to hog this thing. Yeah. And you realize the value of bringing other people because they, again, it's just their perspective and the thing, their little zone of genius that you're like, well, with this and me, this is amazing. Yeah, we could we could do something cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or – I'm just friends with them and I'm not trying to get in on their thing. And then they're, they're not really trying to get in on my thing. We're just friends. Not every friendship with someone in the music business needs to be leveraged. You know, like it's like just following that organic process of being like, what's serving this 
situation and what's serving the song, what's serving this friendship relationship or whatever, you know, and some of the best things in my, I mean, all of the best things in my life have just come about through, you know, a relationship or a friend. And then you end up in a situation that leads to something because you've just got people in your life who are special to you, you know? And I mean, I think that's the best way for these things to happen and nothing feels contrived. Nothing feels like you're playing to an agenda. It's just like, of course, cool stuff happens. I just have cool people in my life and we're all just doing cool stuff, you know, like just be around people who you love, like, you know, which sounds so obvious, but it's, it's really important, you know. Some people don't. And I remember getting one, I had like a mentoring session once with someone way back in the day. And I was like, he was like, well, even if you, you write a song with someone and you don't necessarily like them, if it's a good song, keep on writing. And I was like, Really? I was like, I feel like I wouldn't want to write with them. Like, why would I want to do that to myself? And to me, it's like what you're describing, too, is like, especially some of those things that are built on friendships. You're not, you know, seeking like it has to be this. My agenda is like, we're going to write a song and eventually you're going to pull me into this thing. It's like, or we could just be friends and it may not happen till years later and that's fine. Or it may not happen. I just like you and I like mm-hmm. what you're about. And that sort of energy, yeah. whatever you choose to call it vibe that you put out is what makes people go like, ah, that'd be great. It'd be great to work with them. I think I, you know, I need to pull them in on this as opposed to like, man, every time I'm with him, I feel like guy is like a shakedown. He's kind of like, Hey, give me this thing. Yeah. No, no one wants to feel like that. And then you're not even, if that's your attitude, you're probably not even really friends with the person. So, I mean, I think authenticity is really important when you're, you're not hanging out with people for what they can get you. It's like, you just, Find your people, find your people and, you know, yeah. foster that friendship and collaborate where it fits and don't force it and, you know, great things, that, you know, and we grow together too. Like, I mean, I, I listened to some songs that I made in 2010, 2011 before I came here, you know, tracks that I was working on and I listened. I mean, I moved across to the other side of the world to be a producer and write songs, right? And I, I played guitar for a while to facilitate that song. I listened to those things and they were horrible. <laughs> Like, I wasn't ready. Like, yeah. you know, if I landed in 2012 and someone said, oh, well, you've got a chance to work on the new Maroon 5 single, I would have shanked it. Like, I, I wouldn't have been ready. I, I didn't know what I was doing. It sound, the stuff sounds terrible, you know. Not all the ideas were terrible, but, man, no idea about how to make a mix sound good, really. You know, like, I'm not trying to be unkind to myself, but it's like you grow. And so not getting ahead of yourself, doing the work, putting in the time to be ready for what's for you, like, it's important, you know. Um so, yeah, I mean, I think all that stuff matters and it's it's going to change the way your career unfolds if you're able to do the work, not try and take shortcuts, care for the people you're in relationship with so that then when they meet someone, if they introduce you and it leads you somewhere, cool, but like that you're not putting the pressure on those relationships. You're just doing great stuff and people are attracted by that and you're looking after yourself and you're walking in with your head held high and you know who you are and you in a good yeah. headspace and you're taking care of your mental well-being and your emotional well-being you're taking care of your uh musicality and your chops and your ideas and you can play in the pocket and you've done the work you know across all these things so that when you come you have something to offer that's genuinely like oh man i see this guy walking in he's got something i want to be around that energy you know because we all have something to bring yeah we all do you know you that you said that you listened to some of your songs from then you were like, Oh man, they're terrible. And you know, for some people it'd be like, Oh, what's missing? What, what plugins did you get? What, what, ch-? but it's like all, what was missing was all these experiences that got you in a position to where things got better. 
and like you stay consistent with and you can stay consistent with all those things that you said that, yeah, naturally you fast forward and it's like a war, you know, world's part difference from where you were and where you are now. But you're still continuing that because, you know, then in the next you know five years, you're going to look back and be like, oh, that worked. But you know what? I would probably do something different now because you've gained all this different insight because you've allowed the process to expand and change. Right. And you evolve as a creative person too. So, you know, when I was learning guitar as a teenager, all I cared about was Paul Gilbert and Jason Beckett. Like all I cared was about was shredding, like ripping. I could totally shred, but I'd never played a chord in a song. Like I'd never actually played chords like a song, you know? And I remember being like, because when I was in high school, I was playing bass. I wasn't playing guitar. And I switched to guitar after high school. And I was ripping, and it's like I, I remember learning a G chord. Going, oh, that's cool, you know. Like I could already rip, like I could just rip along with records, yeah. like totally melt your face off. And I couldn't play, you know, Wonderwall probably. You know what I mean? It's like crazy. So yeah, I mean, I I say that from the point of view. Of, yes, I have hunted for the shortcuts, and I have. I can shred, but I can't even play a song. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to be in a band. I don't know how to play funky rhythm stuff that feels good so people will dance and it feels great, you know? So it's just the same thing with writing songs and production, like just making sure that you're well-rounded and really like figuring yourself out as a musician so you have something to offer, you know? I'd be interested to see how has your your listening transformed? Because it's funny, you mentioned when you were – you know, working in that cover band, you they would hand you that tape and you'd put it in the Walkman, you'd listen. How is your listening now? Like, how has that changed or evolved a little bit when you listen to music that you're interested in, things that are just drawing you in? Uh, great question. I mean, I, I listen to so much different stuff, you know, like I love atmospheric stuff. I love Juice World. I love Post Malone. I love Skrillex, especially all that new stuff. I love Fred again. Like, man, I only came across Fred again from my friend Solly in October. And I listened to it so much that by the end of the year, my Spotify wrapped, I was in the top 0.1% of his listeners. I was just like, it was all I was listening. I was just absolutely addicted to it. It, it was just such great music, you know. But So I have a very eclectic taste. And so I can listen to Skrillex not analyzing it, just being like, this is a vibe. Or I can listen and be like, oh, that pitched up hand drum is so sick. Or what, yeah. I mean, you know, you can be analytical or you can just kind of be chill and be like, I'm just enjoying it, you know. And I, I probably am constantly phasing between analyzing it and just being in it and enjoying it you know and some stuff i don't really analyze i'm just like this is a vibe i'm not trying to understand it i just want to experience it as a music fan yeah and then maybe once i've just had that experience if you know i'll be like what's making that have that what's making it have that impression on me you know try and analyze it a little more or whatever but i don't i'm certainly not just being like oh that's the four chord you know i mean you know what i mean i i can i can still listen as if ignorant you know like and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just oblivious is probably better. Like I can listen in a way where I'm oblivious to what's going on technically or musically and just enjoy the emotion and feeling of the song, you know, like Vancouver Sleep Clinic or something like that. It's like I don't have to transcribe it in my head or whatever. I just, you know, there's a couple of songs I just love, you know, and it's like, man, it just, I just. You can flip the switch essentially and yeah. just go in between those things, yeah. which is awesome because. Otherwise I would lose the enjoyment of the music, I think. If I was only ever analyzing it, I would miss the point of having music in my life where it's such a healing, inspiring, um, yeah, just an, an inspiring element of my life that I don't want to lose that, you know? Because if you lose that, it's like, I, I feel like then are you going to create things that are authentic? 
yeah, I was going to say if I lose that, I'll probably change careers, you know, because I would lose the excitement for it if it was just all purely analytical. Because I, I mean, and when I'm making my songs, I don't just want to think technically. I go by feel so much when I'm making a song. I'm like, oh, we should go to the, I mean, I know the math. I know the, yeah. I, you know, I know the modes. I know the chord math. I know the stuff. And I can explain and justify whatever. But when I'm making a song and I'm sitting here and the artist is vibing and we're just going for it, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just literally responding and my hands just go where they go. And I'm like, and I don't overthink everything. I'm for an idea to settle and become the idea and become the song. The worst session for me is if I'm making a chord progression and I've got four chords and then someone's like, I wonder if that second chord should, I mean, it's just like, man, just can we just let <laughs> something settle? You know, just let's just let something settle. This will be fine. You know, um, I think it's really important not to overthink everything. I think it's really important to go by feel and let ideas settle and coalesce and then build on that so that you have a structure becoming tangible, you know, like if you never let anything settle, if nothing's ever, that's not it. That's not it. Oh, let's go for lunch, man. Nothing will ever be it. Like, you know, if that's yeah. not it, then w what does it need to be? What are you hoping it would be? Like people just get so in their head and it's just like, let it settle. Let something happen for a second before you decide it's not right. You know, um, it's, and I've done that too. I've done it too. So I'm not saying that from a high horse. I'm just like, it's really important to learn how to just let ideas settle and coalesce and become something, you know? The one thing that you say, and I feel like I say this a lot and I know I get questions where people are like, what does that mean? Where you said the feel. You know, I'm not necessarily, when I'm adding a sound, I'm not like, okay, from on this spectrum, here's the DB of where we need to be and we need to be under. But I'm like, I'm going to add this in because it feels really right. And let's cut this because I want to, I feel like it needs to get, like, it's a lot of these words feel, but like it works. And people are like, what does that mean? And it's like, I think it's partial. You've put in the work, but you're also allowing your instinct of where it should go. You're not kind of fighting that. And being like, oh, it shouldn't go there because I should think about this. It's that fear-based kind of thinking that creates things that don't always have a very cohesive feel, but feels a little predictable, feels a little choppy, or just something feels off. <laughs> I'm saying feel. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and yeah, I, and I think it's entirely subjective. Yeah. Like what I think feels awesome, someone else might be like, oh, that rubs me the wrong way. And I've definitely had things where people have wanted a certain note. And I'm like, oh, that just makes me physically uncomfortable because it's just such a the sixth note against the yeah. one chord, you know, or something that feels like a very weak harmonic position to take. And I'm just like, oh, that's uncomfortable to me, you know, and sometimes they're right. It should be that. But like, you know, um, I think it's entirely subjective and you have to just kind of decide what you like and have the confidence to be like, that feels good to me. Cool. I'm going to do that. And then you don't have to question it again necessarily, unless you're like down the track. It's like, can I beat that? Cool. I mean, I, the can I beat it question is entirely valid and should be asked whenever appropriate but i think sometimes things settle and it's like i could change it i could make it different would it be better arguably no it's just going to be different and you can make it different all day forever and never finish a song in your career and we've all been there and been around those people and been those people i say that without judgment it's sometimes finishing is the hardest piece you know so you know when you say going by feel it's just like what do i think will feel cool having the confidence to be like i think that's cool or I don't have a good reason not to trust myself. Yeah. Maybe. Like, I can't think of a reason why I wouldn't just trust that what I think is cool is cool. And no one else has to agree with me. But I think that's cool. So I'm just going to do it. You know? But again, it's that maybe it's also too a bit of putting in that work and kind of the, that confidence in you. 
in yourself and your tastes and your abilities that you can get to that point. And I think, yeah, we've all been there where it's the overthinking, the over, oh, I could, maybe I should move this cord. Really, if you get rid of that cord, is it going to make a world of difference? Is it really going to make us go like, oh, maybe it might. But most likely we're just going to be like, okay, you change the cord. Yeah. And, and, and I think the biggest question around that is, okay, well, what are you going to sing over it that's going to make it such a different experience for the listener? Because I could come up with these chords and until someone's singing something over it, it's arbitrary because it's going to be the melody that will help. You know, it's the, it's the relationship between the chord and the melody that's going to be pivotal. Like, you know, so I'm trying to set up chords that imply a certain melody and feel like, so when you hear the melody, it's like that all feels cohesive and belongs, you know. And if someone's trying to find a melody that's not working, we have to change the melody. If the melody in isolation is cool, then we will change the chord so that it's supporting it better, you know what I mean? So I'm not, I'm not saying it's always right, but until someone starts a melody, the chords are kind of arbitrary, you know, and if you're not modulating keys, then it could be a two chord or a four chord or a six chord, you know, and, and the melody would probably work great over all of them. And you get to decide, like, what's the implication of that? Like, what does it mean emotionally if I hit the six chord instead of the two chord? Like, explore that. Well, what do you think it means? I, I know what it means to me. I know what happens if I land on the four or the six or the two, even though the same melody can work on all those chords. I know what it feels like, the kind of strength or sort of suppleness or sadness or whatever like you know what you can imply but everyone who's writing songs need to figure out against this melody note what chord implies what you know what does that make me feel what's the implication and then you make those decisions for yourself we may agree on some of what those things mean we may disagree on what some of those things mean fine you know Perfect, right? I mean, it's just about what you think is cool. When you're, if it's your song, if you're making a song, do what you think is cool. I love that idea because uh, people are wondering: is there a, an only right way, or is this the right way? And it's like oh, there's multiple ways of looking, as you said, because you know, music can be subjective. How I feel and what I think is great may not necessarily be to your taste. What I may think is great and what they want for the brief may contradict like it may be different and they're asking for something yeah and i have to do well this isn't a me thing this is a service thing right now so you know what cool i'm gonna do it you know yeah those contexts are important aren't they like if you've got a brief then it's like yes you want to bring yourself to it but follow the brief you know like if you want to get the land if you want to land the placement and follow the brief you know but i think if there was going to be a right way it's probably do what you love do something you love. Like I, I remember working on songs and kind of second guessing things and then trying to make it so that it would land and making stuff that's real on the nose. And then the two things can happen. One, you make a song that doesn't land because it's so on the nose. And then you're like, that was a waste of time. And I hate the song anyway. The worst thing is that it does land and blows the hell up. And now you're constantly reminded of this thing you made that you hate that worked. And you're like, you know, you've probably seen those bands that they never want to play their hit songs because they didn't write them. They didn't love it. It became a massive hit. And now 20 years later, they're still touring the world and the fans will tear down the stadium if they don't play the, the hit song that none of the guys on stage want to play. Like the worst thing you can do is have success with a song you don't love. I think I heard the band that did uh, the theme to Friends. They said that. They were like, I wish we just never oh, did right. it. Is that the Rembrandts or the something? Rem yeah, the Rembrandts that they were just like. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were not the first ones for consideration. I think it was the Gin Blossoms was the first ones. And they were like, no, we don't right. want to do this. 
But then we're like, sure. And now they're just like, man, I really kind of wish we didn't because that's it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Careful what you wish for, you know? Um, so anyway, yeah. I mean, and people might be like, yeah, I'd be happy to worth, be complaining and be the Rembrandt's worth millions of dollars. It's like, I know, but like, you only care about the millions of dollars because you don't have it, but they have it and they hate their life because they have to do stuff they hate to get it. Like, it's like, I'd rather just do my own thing, you know? Like, yeah. So anyway, it's interesting for sure. But loving what you do is so important in music, you know, because we talk about AI too, right? Like, I think that's the component that will make musicians and songwriters endure is because AI can copy the tropes and the formulas and all that. So they can rip off all the formulaic stuff. But I was talking to an incredible songwriter today, Dennis Cook, who's a part of Songhouse, you know, in Nashville, doing amazing stuff. And he was just talking about how those guys, and I hope it's okay that I'm sharing this story, but he was saying that the guys in the room were like fighting for the song and they were like, no, but it feels wrong. And it felt like they were fighting for the math and they were fighting, they were sitting in the studio talking about a car and Dennis was like, I get that, but I'm sitting in the car. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, dude, you yeah. know, like he is like, he is trying to, it's an authenticity thing. And that really spoke to me. Like he's an incredible songwriter and just a beautiful soul, you know, um, and a you know, dear friend. So, I mean, all of that stuff to say, you know, authenticity and being unafraid. To sp- I mean, it's not about being unafraid. It's actually, okay, you might be afraid, but just do it anyway of bringing your best self, bringing what you have to say, bringing your story, bringing your taste, just bring all of who you are into everything you're doing. Like that's how to make a career. That's how to make something special happen with your music, you know, because the AI thing I'm not convinced can make something special. I might be wrong. I don't know. But yeah, I do know that people who put themselves into their art, into their life, into their relationships, into their story, are far more rewarding to be around and, you know, far more inspiring to talk to and their songs are probably arguably better and I think they genuinely seem probably more content with what they're doing because they're not leaving anything, you know, off the table. They're just giving it what they've got. They're not holding back, you know. Yeah, I agree. AI, I think it's a form, but, you know, it can't give that the human authenticity and kind of like that human story and that relatability that we love about creation or the weird out of the box things. Like maybe it checks the boxes, like the mix is great. And this is all the key hit words, but it's just like, then there are things that sometimes we're just like, you know, we do randomly. Like I'm a huge fan of Dr. Who and anytime he encounters like the Cybermen, they go that that is illogical. Yes. Why would you? Because it's the human mm-hmm. thing. It's just like, and he's like, "That's mm-hmm. what's great about mm-hmm. it. You wouldn't think about that." Um, but yeah, I yeah. find, yeah, it's that's yeah, it's the human element. All everything that you've mentioned in your entire story about like jumping in, taking chances. This is how I pivot. That was your story. There's not a robot that can do exactly that. This is how you create a life like this in music because it's so, it's not a linear journey. It's kind of, it's twists and turns all over the place. Yeah. I mean, I also relate to that mid journey stuff, right? I think someone said, and I I think it's true. It's like people aren't taking pictures that mid journey, which if you don't know what that is, that's that AI picture generator for the people listening. But it's like, you know, and I use that stuff to make little cover images for singles or whatever. It's dope. You plug stuff in, it can make all kinds of rad stuff. I love it. I can Photoshop it afterwards and blend it and put some title on it. And it feels like a vibe. It's cool. But no one's taking that and putting it 
in a gallery and selling it for 30 grand. It's a different thing. It's, it's, so it serves a purpose, right? And for me as a, someone who sometimes needs graphics for singles, and I mean, I have some background in graphics and stuff so I can cook stuff up, but it's fun plugging in a prompt into mid journey, have it cook up a picture and be like, that's a vibe. I can use that, you know, but, and, and I think there's an element of that with AI for songs. There'll be a thing where it's like, you might get some starting lines or something. It's like that could just get the ball rolling. Cool. But I, but like I say, with the mid journey, no one's hanging that art up for 25 grand. And I don't think that the AI song is going to be like a Eleanor Rigby. I mean, or, a, you know, something that's just a substantial, incredible song. It, it might be capable of writing something that's more pop and something that is more formulaic potentially. And I don't say that to diminish pop, but I think, you know, Max Martin, which, I mean, I still think Max has written some incredible pop songs. I'm not diminishing that, but I think something that is born out of something that's a lot more analytical and it still has a lot of heart, but I think the analytical part, I think that's probably where the AI can go and make inroads and be a creative tool. But I think it's a fascinating conversation around that application of that stuff. But I think real stories by real humans with real pain and real struggles coming out in a song is, is never not going to be special. I guess time will tell. I, I, I guess time will tell. But, you know, yeah. I, I mean, maybe 30 years, there's going to be one in the Louvre. We'll go to France. <laughs> it's like, there, there's the AI. Yeah. But, dude, um, if somebody's yeah, listening yeah. to this and they're like, I love this and I need to take the first step. What would you say is the first thing to do in kind of that next step of whatever they want to do, whether it's booking that co-write, whether it is traveling or, you know, like buckling down and opening up that, you know, their DAW for the first time. And like, I'm going to start recording my own stuff. There's something unique in all of us that I think the world uh, would be better for hearing. The world would be a better place there's something inside of you that you've yet to share that the world would be better if you shared it. I mean, I believe that. I think that each of us have something to contribute that only we can contribute. And I think for me, I really want to continue to finding out what that is and keep learning how to share and keep having, keep developing the courage to share it because I think I can humbly offer the best of what I can do and hope that the world is slightly improved by me doing that and, and my life improved too. And I think that when we all commit to that, I think we do make the world better, you know, and I think that step can be really scary. It doesn't mean we're going to go write some hit song. I mean, I've never done that, but I, I've had an amazing career of ups and downs and ins and outs and twists and turns. And it's amazing life, you know, and I look forward to the next 50 to be like, what comes next, you know? And I think just believing that, yeah, there's something that you can find in yourself that's worth sharing and just treating it not like, I'm under pressure to make some incredible thing. Just just go and be you and have the courage to find out what that is and how to express that and have the courage to take that first step, whatever that is. And if you're trying to be a songwriter, write a song. Start. Just begin. Like, what have you possibly got to lose? Like, far out. Dude, this was awesome. Thanks for, for hanging, Jeff. This was such a good conversation. I feel like there's Thanks, so man. many Instagramable moments of like all these quotes where I'm just like, damn, that was a good one. I was like, I was trying to like write down these little minute markers. Oh. So like, that was a good one. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. Thanks, man. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you for having me, bro. I, I'm really stoked with what you're doing empowering people to do this stuff is huge like it's huge (laughs) 
And that does it for this week's episode. It was edited and produced by Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.